Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I want to talk about John S. Barry, the only governor to serve three terms in the state of Michigan. He was a businessman from Constantine, Michigan, and also White Pigeon, Michigan, right here in the southwest corner of the state. So stick around on this one. He has a very interesting story. John Stewart Barry was the governor of Michigan from January 3rd, 1842 to January 5th, 1846. But he was also governor again from January 7th, 1850 to January 1st, 1852. And we'll cover that third term here in a little bit. He was born in Amherst, New Hampshire on January 29th, 1802. His parents were John Barry and Ellen Stewart. He spent his early years in Rockham, Vermont, where he remained until he was of working age. And he had spent most of the time working on his father's farm and pursuing whatever studies that he could during that time. He married Mary Kidder of Grafton, Vermont. And in 1824, they moved to Georgia, Vermont, where he took charge of an academy for two years. And at the same time, he was studying law. Afterwards, he practiced law in the state of Vermont for quite a while. And he was still living in Georgia, Vermont working as part of the governor's staff in Vermont. And he had the title of governor's aide during that time. And in somewhat earlier than that, he spent time as a captain in the state militia. In 1831, he moved to Michigan and settled in White Pigeon, where he started up a mercantile business with I.W. Willard. Four years later, in 1834, Mr. Barry moved to Constantine and continued in the mercantile business. He became Justice of the Peace in White Pigeon, Michigan in 1831 and held the office until the year of 1835. Mr. Barry's first public office was that of a member of the First Constitutional Convention, which assembled and framed the Constitution for the state of Michigan, in which the state was admitted to the Union. So he took an important and prominent part in the proceedings of that body, and he showed himself to be a man of far more than ordinary ability in that convention. So when Michigan was admitted into the Union, Mr. Barry was chosen as the first state senator, and he became very favorably looked upon by his colleagues in that same legislature, and they looked at him as a party leader. Now, he was a member of the Democrat Party during that time, and they thought that he should head the state ticket in the following election. Eventually, he received the nomination for governor. Now, his nomination came from the Democrat Party, and the two prior governors up to that point had been members of the Whig Party, and he was successfully able to win the election, and he took office in 1842. And in 1842, when he took office, the state was embarrassed by great financial difficulties, but it was through his wisdom and sound judgment that the state finally was placed upon a solid financial basis during his time in office. During the first year of Governor Barry's first term, the University of Ann Arbor was open with a reception of students. Also, the Michigan Central and the Michigan Southern Railroads were rapidly constructed and general progress was everywhere noticeable. 
1842, the number of pupils reported as attending the public schools was nearly 58,000 students. In 1843, the state land office was established in Marshall, Michigan, which was invested with the charge and disposition of all lands belonging to the state. In 1844, the taxable property of the state was found to be over 28 million, and the tax being at a rate of two mills on the dollar. The expenses of the state were only $70,000, while the income from the railroads was $300,000. At this time, the University of Michigan had become so prosperous that its income was ample to pay the interest on the university's debt, and this allowed the state of Michigan to loan money for establishing further railroads. Efforts during his administration were to increase the efficiency of the common schools, and it had good results. In 1845, when Governor Barry's second term expired, the population of the state was more than 300,000. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The Constitution of the state forbade more than two consecutive terms as governor, but he was called upon to fill the position again in 1850. So his first set of double terms ended in 1845, but he was called back to serve a third term in 1850. And this was the only instance of his kind in the history of the state. He was a member of the territorial legislature of the Constitutional Convention and afterwards of the State House of Representatives. During Mr. Berry's third term as governor, the normal school was established at Ypsilanti, which was endowed with the lands and placed in charge of the Board of Education, consisting of six people. The constitution of the government of the state was also adopted, and an interesting thing happened during that term was the Great Railway Conspiracy case that was tried in the court systems. Now, this case grew out of a series of lawless acts which had been committed on the property of the Michigan Central Railroad Company along the line of their railway. It involved the burning of a depot in Detroit, as well as a lot of other damage along the railroad lines during 1850 and a little bit before that. And the setting of the grand jury for this trial was in Wayne County, and it was held on April 24, 1851. 37 men of the 50 that had been under arrest for the crimes were indicted. On May 20th, following this date, the accused parties appeared in the circuit court of Wayne County, where a man by the name of Warner Wing was the resident judge. The railroad company employed 10 eminent lawyers, including David Stewart, John Van Arman, James A. Van Dyke, Jacob M. Howard, Alex D. Frazier, Daniel Goodwin, and William Gray. All of those lawyers show up in a lot of the early history of the state of Michigan. You'll see some of those names coming out of the history of Marshall. The defendants were represented by six members of the state bar led by William Seward of New York. The trial went on for four months, and during that time, the plaintiffs examined 246 witnesses during a 27-day period, and the defendants examined 249 witnesses during a 49-day period. 
Mr. Van Dyke addressed the jury for the prosecution and Mr. William H. Seward for the defense. Mr. Seward, the great defense lawyer, was completely convinced of the innocence of his clients, but that innocence and that conviction did not impress the jury, and the men were found guilty. The guilty verdict was rendered at 9 o'clock p.m. on September 25, 1851. On the 26th of that month, the prisoners were put forward to receive a sentence, and many of them protested their innocence, in which the presiding judge ultimately sentenced 12 of them to terms of imprisonment with hard labor within the state's prison system for a period of about 10 years. The rest of them all received sentences that lasted five years. So that was a, it was an interesting case in the history of Michigan. And when you study a lot of the Michigan history during that time, you'll occasionally come across the reference to that trial. And it was really one of the first really big trials in the state of Michigan's history. And it had to do with the railroads, which through the history of the United States did have many cases that were surrounded with controversy. And some of the stories that I have seen about that was there was a lot of protesting and challenging of the railroads going across cattle lands. And the cattle were, in those days, quite often not fenced in. So the cows were getting hit by the train. So some of the farmers and the men that were fighting against the railroad were in protest over it coming across their lands and because it was killing cows. And that's partly what some of the charges were for the damages and destruction. And I think things probably just got out of hand and a group of men decided to burn a railroad depot to try to shut down the railroad in the state. And of course that didn't work and it didn't go well with the authorities. In 1840, Governor Barry, when during his first term, was really interested in the cultivation of the sugar beet as a Michigan crop. And he even went so far as to visit Europe to obtain the information and learn about the culture of raising beets and beet crops did become a popular crop in the state of Michigan following his terms in office. He was twice sent as an elector to the presidential election for the delegate for the National Democrat Convention, which was held in Chicago. And the last time that he did it was in Chicago in 1864. So throughout his life, he was a man who was considered to be of great high character and strong integrity and held a fidelity to the trusts that were bestowed upon him, either as a public servant or as a private citizen. And he's often been acknowledged and referred to as one of the most efficient and popular governors in the state and perhaps one of the most popular governors that the state ever had because he brought it out of a condition of struggling financially to a state of prosperity where there was an abundance of income for the state, and they were able to build things like universities. Now, one of the biographical references I've been referring to on a lot of the history of, of John Stuart Berry was published in 1894, and it covered biographical stories of prominent figures in Michigan from Van Buren, Allegan, and Kalamazoo counties. And in this reference on John Stuart Berry, they described him as a man of incorruptible integrity. His opinions, which he reached by the most thorough investigation, 
he held tenaciously. His strong convictions and outspoken honesty made it impossible for him to take an undefined position when a principle was involved. His attachments and prejudices were strong, yet he was never accused of favoritism in his administration of public affairs. As a speaker, he was not remarkable. Solidity rather than brilliancy characterizes oratory, which is described as argumentative and instructive, but cold, hard, and entirely wanting and rhetorical ornament. He was never eloquent, seldom humorous, or sarcastic in manner rather awkward. Although Mr. Barry's educational advantages were so limited, he was a lifelong student. He mastered both ancient and modern languages and acquired a thorough knowledge of history. No man owed less to political intrigue as a means of gaining proposition. He was a true statesman and gained public esteem by his solid worth. His political connections were always with the Democratic Party, and his opinions were usually extreme. Mr. Barry retired to private life after the beginning of the ascendancy of the Republican Party in the state and carried on in the mercantile business in his retirement in Constantine, Michigan. He died January 14, 1870, and his wife's death occurred a year previous on March 30, 1869. They left no children. So he devoted a lot of his energies in his lifetime to helping the state of Michigan become a prosperous state and come out of its pioneer period. And so he's just got a very interesting history. And he's the only governor in the state history that was able to serve three different terms as the governor. So he was technically the fourth governor in the state of Michigan. Stevens T. Mason was the first governor during the territorial to official statehood period. And he was a Democrat. William Woodbridge was the second governor. James Wright Gordon was the third. And then John S. Barry was the fourth. And when he did his third term, he was technically the eighth governor of the state of Michigan. And he's the only one to have done that in the history of the state of Michigan. And during that time period, the term for a Michigan governor was two years. Today, Barry's home in Constantine, called the Governor John S. Barry House, has been listed on the National Register of Historic Places since 1972. And so that's going to conclude today's episode when looking at the life of John S. Barry, one of the more interesting governors from the state of Michigan who served two terms and then served a third term, becoming the fourth and eighth governor of the state of Michigan. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take some time to leave a review on whatever app you're listening on. Those reviews are always helpful to get more people to listen to the podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about me or would like to contact me or suggest something that I should cover as a tale of Southwest Michigan's past, you can reach out to me through michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from you guys. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another tale from Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.